I hope most of you guys are doing well, and welcome to another episode of A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole, where I'll be digging through my vinyl collection of about 500 records and my tiny brain of about 500 remaining brain cells and taking a light-hearted, laid-back and positive fanboys look at my favourite songs and bits of songs and artists that fall within a different and pointless set theme every episode. Choosing from any song part or artist that gives me joy as a listener or a slight Norwegian wood as a musician. It's not a countdown, but I will leave my favourite choice for last. This is just a bit of chilled, unnecessary fun that hopefully inspires someone to buy a record, listen to an old favourite album, support a musician and check out some of this amazing shit that has formed the soundtrack of my life. As a lot of people like to share their opinions these days, please let me know if you think that I have missed anything in my record collection that I know and that I like by sending me an email at I won't ever check this email at gofuckyourself.cockgoblin and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. But seriously, if you do have any suggestions, you can hit me at suggestions at arockandrollrabbithole.com or on Instagram, arockandrollrabbithole.podcast. And if you dig what I'm doing, feel free to tell a friend or two and subscribe, rate and review the podcast. You can also visit arockandrollrabbithole.com for Spotify playlist of all the songs used in each episode, links to all the past episodes and some other golden magic. You can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook, arockandrollrabbithole.podcast. I genuinely appreciate you taking the time to listen and here goes. want to say a huge thank you to everyone who listened last week and more importantly everyone who rated and reviewed the podcast on the apple app or on itunes the podcast was number eight in the oz music podcast charts this week which got a heap of new listeners thank you so much there's a heap to get through this week so i won't shit on you all individually as per usual but here's the diamond covered nuggets i want to thank miles stewart toffee shock brett wood Brico, sean from elephant gun timmy h77 john scovron JT84 Fly, Hayden, the Hips Don't Lie Maggot, Clint Mitchell, WWWCM, TS Neds, Tube Fresh, KDO24, Alex Ruby, Kay Violi, which I think is Adrian Violi voting with his mum's phone, Music Mike, Rowan, I Built the Sky, thanks brother, Bum Drum, Joel Burton, Michelle Connell, Trav Constable, Gig Maggi, Lou Chaps1984, Dan Linders, Sean Blanchett from Dead City Ruins, Ben Philip Galachi, Nuggets, Philip Anthony Agi Opadopofakalopoulos, Turtle, Jammin32, Brittany Ann Shell, Lockie Connell, This Username Isn't Taken, 6969, G2635, Ali Connell, Smally Kelly, Kalatio, Mick Priest, Wi-Fi Whizfizz, Narelle Cummings, Simon Fizenden, the Ivanhoe Cackler, Sully with a Y, Dan Gregg. I will shit on Trav Clark though. His review was recommended by a friend and loving it. That friend was me. Thanks, Trav. Trav's one of the best bass players around and check out Trav's magic on the last track today. Oily Dog, Riggs337, another guy I don't trust because he says professional working drummer. There's no such thing. Shitty App and Morris from the podcast. Love that album for a nice chat this week. Thanks, mate. And here's part two of Birds. 
Welcome to episode 12 of A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole. Episode 12 is part two of my rabbit hole dig on bird songs and bird bands. I strongly recommend having a listen to episode 11 first to catch up, but here's what you missed out from episode 11. Nirvana drummer, Led Zeppelin bass player, Queens of the Stone Age guitarist, say no more. Here's how the band got together. I'm looking forward to this. It's going to be loud, I imagine. You've been here before performing for us. I have been. You know, do you remember when we first met? Uh, we, 1991. Okay. 1991, I, I did a show and Nirvana were on the show. And I remember chatting to you and Kurt, you were, do you remember this? You don't remember what I said, Vaguely. of course. No, no I think it was say? probably a bigger moment you for You guys were in the toilet you. together, right? No, <laughs> we weren't in the toilet, <laughs> uh, But then you did a different song to the one you meant to be doing, didn't you? We did, yeah. Which one did but you... I well, we were supposed to play Smells Like Teen Spirit, and instead, about two minutes before going on, we thought, you know what, let's play, let's play Territorial Pissing, oh, this right, other yeah. song, which is about two minutes shorter. And I remember, and then we smashed the gear and we ran out the back door, and the gear was left feed, just feedback, like, <laughs> And the first thing he says is, Nirvana will be available for bar mitzvahs and weddings. <laughs> it was great. Hey, uh, now how does something happen where a group of guys that you get together, presumably you obviously knew about each other's bands, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and then what, you, you decided to do a different project because you wanted to work together or you were, you were looking for... It's basically. Okay, so Dave's yeah, yeah. the, the brains behind it. That. What happened? Well, you know, Josh and I have known each other for a long time. We, we've known each other for maybe... 18, 17, 18 years. Yeah, that Josh, was before uh, the Queens, Queens of Stones. Yeah. yeah, way back. So, and we had a great time playing together, but I'm in the Foo Fighters, and, and uh, so we'd always talked about doing another project together, and of course, John is, uh, we're big fans of, of John's work. He was once in a little band by the name of <coughs> Pink Floyd. So now you're <laughs> the Led Zeppelin, of course. Research, research. Wow. Uh, and so, where's the name from? Them Crooked Vultures. Can I tell you what I thought of when I heard Them Crooked Vultures? Sure. It made me think of the, uh, those three guys who were pretending to be the Beatles in The Jungle Book. I don't remember that. You've never seen The Jungle Book? Yeah, yeah, I, I what have. What kind of a wasted youth did you have, Rob? <laughs> you were smoking the Mary Jane when you were a little... I was else seven is... years old. Ever... That's not what that was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like someone's drawn a beard on a baseball. <laughs> OK. Um... <laughs> Uh, you're going to perform for us, I'm delighted to say, this evening. Uh, I'm excited. I hope you are as well. Ladies and gentlemen, it's them, Crooked Vultures.
Stones are such a big influence on you. When you start opening for those guys. The best show was in Montpellier in the, in the south of France. Right. And it was Black Crows, Bob Dylan, and the Rolling Stones. Unbelievable. And it was the best. Be- I will always remember because I met Bob that day. And it was he's my, you know, ultimately my, my biggest hero. So we're, on, we're backstage. I mean, behind Keith Sampson, the Stones had a, like a Rolling Stone was their single in Europe for that tour when the, in, on that Voodoo Lounge cycle so they're they're gonna have bob sit in and and i'm like oh my god you know so mick jagger's wearing like a long blue satin shirt with a belt pirate style over it and i because i just remember things i don't know my social security number but i know this that, that stays with you <laughs> so they're like ladies and gentlemen you know Montpellier, you know there's sixty thousand, seventy thousand people out there Bob Dylan and Bob comes walking right beside me and Rich and he's wearing the exact same outfit. He he like saw what Mick and he had, and I was like that's that's fucking amazing. <laughs> he walks out on stage and you know the Rolling Stones are the Rolling Stones. They're the greatest rock and roll band of all time. Right. They're playing a Bob Dylan song. Bob's sitting in. The Stones don't jam. They don't deviate. So it's like, once upon a time, didn't you? You know, the whole thing. And (laughs) then they go around to the chorus, and then they come up to Bob's turn. So the the band makes up, one, two, three, four. And Bob goes to the mic and doesn't sing anything. (laughs) And you see them look around, and they're like, okay, because it's kind of like you missed the turn at a roundabout. you got to go all the way around. (laughs) So they go all the way around again. One more, one, two. And he just leans into the mic, turns away. I'm I'm like, oh, my God, (laughs) what the fuck? It goes on for another half a verse, and then Mick's going to come over and, like, save the day. Right. And then Bob finally goes to the mic and just starts singing something, and they don't finish, and they're walking off stage. We're standing there, and, like, Mick and Keith, like, they go, like, he walks off before the end of the song. They're like, Bob Dylan! And he turns around, (laughs) and he looks at them, and he goes fuck you like this and he gives him the finger and like I'm like it's the best fucking concert I've ever seen in my life it's incredible and Keith I can see Keith goes oh don't be like that Bob what a shit show and yet it's the greatest it's thing the to see thing we've ever seen. that was a great rock and roll story from Black Crow singer Chris Robinson here's their great song Remedy a song that should have been in episode 4 about drugs
who's Mr. Jones? Marty, Marty Jones. <laughs> who's Marty Jones? Um, our friend Marty, he used to be bass player in every band I was in until this one. And what was, what, was, uh, what was special about him? Why did you feel like you had to write a, write a song about him? Well, I wrote a song about me. I just happened to be out with him that night. <laughs> I mean, it's a song about two guys who are in a bar. I mean, we were in this bar. His father is one of the only Americans ever to uh, make it as a flamenco guitar player in Spain. Oh, wow. David Serva. And uh, he was in California playing with his old flamenco troupe in the Mission. And we'd gone to the show. And we were out with the flamenco troupe. And we were drunk in a bar. Chris Isaac's drummer, Kenny, was in the corner with like three girls. And, and we were just thinking... Chris Isaac's drummer, very popular at this time. Well, we were in a San Francisco band. They were you know, just right. a little bit, ahead, little bit older than us in San Francisco. And uh, it just seemed like, if, you know, we couldn't even manage to talk to girls. But if we, you know, we were just thinking if we were rock stars, it'd be easier. Right. I went home and wrote the song. Counting Crows, Mr. Jones. episode without mentioning Wings. Paul McCartney, Nikki Six, John Deacon and Duff were my bass Elvises growing up. So many great songs by Wings, but I have chosen a song that I don't really care that much for, but it has an incredible bass line showing how Paul is such a badass. A line he still smashes live. Here's Silly Love Songs by Wings, with Paul McCartney doing commentary. Silly Love Songs was sort of, in a way, kind of a daring song to write because before you'd even started, you were saying that this song was kind of silly just by the title. And I'm not sure if anyone actually said he writes silly love songs. I remember with this particular song that uh, years later, I met Bruce Springsteen at a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame thing. And he said, man, and he said, I really didn't understand that silly love songs. He said, I, you know, I didn't get it when it first came out. He said, but now, you know, I've got a family, I've got babies. And he said, I really get it now, man. I think it's a really great song, you know. He sort of knew you'd have to wait for some people to get it. 
on tour in America. It was a very successful tour for the band. And this song, Silly Love Songs, was released as a single right at the beginning of the tour. So hardly anyone knew it. But by the end of the tour, it was one of the most popular numbers on the tour, which is always a great thing. It's very exciting for a band to have a, a single building like that during the tour. And here it is without Paul talking, so you can hear how great the bass line is. remembered seeing a video of you uh, at the night you were given the Kennedy Center honors and clearly it, it you were very moved when Jim McGuinn sang uh, turn 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 is it uh, is, 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 is it powerful to hear your music in, in oh it was a great places? honor um, that recording of the birds is a fantastic recording yeah. uh, what harmony that they had to change my melody very slightly but it, it works. I, I, now when I sing it, most people have learned the song from the Birds record, so I sing their version of it rather than the one I... Mine's okay, but it's... But uh, as long as I sing it that way, I'll sing it their version. That was songwriter Pete Seeger talking about the Birds version of his song, Turn, Turn, Turn. had Eric Clapton, Jimmy Page and Jeff Beck in their ranks as the lead guitarist at one time or another between 1964 and 1968. The band name was actually lifted from another Bird-related musician's nickname, Charlie Bird, or sometimes Charlie Yardbird Parker. The song was written by bass player Graham Gouldman, who went on to be the bass player in 10cc. Here's some harpsichord fueled rock for your love, the Yardbirds. Sure. For your love. I'm 
she took off. Cheryl Crow talking about how her debut album was written and put together. At some of the sessions, the crew had to swap instruments to try to inspire original ideas. The Cheesant Music Club record was um, kind of an experiment to begin with. I, I, I met with Bill Betrell through a friend of mine, Kevin Gilbert, and um, part of our experiment really to see if we even gelled was just to get a bunch of people together and be in a studio and they uh that i think it was i think i met him on a monday and that tuesday night uh they he called me and had gotten some friends together and it was the first jam session and they called and said do you want to come out i was the only woman and it was it, you know it was a very heady experience because you had a bunch of very um although underground very established musicians in the la scene get together and um so for four about four weeks in a row we we got together and wrote songs and partied and, you know, got stuff on tape. And then Bill and I really, I guess, uh, came to the conclusion that we, we want to make a record together. We just don't know how exactly we're going to go about doing it. And it didn't, it didn't continue on uh, in that vein of just getting together and jamming. He and I got down to the business of writing and recording. And, but that was the original inspiration for the record, which was how the name came about. This next song is an interesting study in songwriting. The chorus was written by Bob Dylan in 1973 on a demo called Rock Me Mama. The verses were written by Old Crow Medicine Show singer Ketch Sekor when he was 17. I googled it and there's a geographical impossibility in the verse as it's east from Cumberland Gap to Johnson City, not west, but all good. Wagon Wheel, Old Crow Medicine Show. South to the land of the pines I'm thumbing my way to North Carolina Staring up the road and pray to God I see headlights I made it down the coast in 17 hours Picking me a bouquet dogwood flowers And I'm hoping for Riley I can see my baby tonight So rock me mama like a wagon wheel Rock Southbound train Hey Mama Rock me Hey away by 
Aussie song from a band, another one of my old bands supported a few years back. Here's a guy talking about the writing process for the album that birthed this next choice. It's always changing, we're always kind of trying to evolve our songwriting process and, and the way we're doing it for a new lot of stuff is so different to how we did it to the last records. Yeah, the last record we kind of, we had a studio in Perth and we spent a concentrated five months or maybe more just focus, focusing on the record and, and the songs that made up the record. Uh, this time we're doing it in, 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 in pieces really. The difference in this process as opposed to writing a song a day, like last time, or by topping up these songs, it's cool to see a bit of a relationship or a bit of a sort of music, a family between the songs sort of create because nothing's, it's all growing up. It always kind of starts, I guess, from a point of um, a, a genesis or a treatment or an idea or whatever, which you know, nine times out of 10 stuff that I sort of come up with at home, but it'll only work on to a certain point, i.e. a bunch of chords or, or a feeling or something, and then I sort of stop, leave it, and, and work, do something else. So that way, when there's a bunch of ideas, you know, I never go further than initial idea, which then him and I work on together and sort of then blossom from there, and an idea feeds one idea, which feeds another idea, and sort of it goes from there. Here's another live acoustic version, Birds of Tokyo, Plans. Fabulous Thunderbirds and their great shuffler, she's tough. You ought to see my baby when she walked down the street, upset everybody she made. She's 23 in the waist, 38 in the hip. She got long black wavy hair and ruby red lips. She's tough. And that's tough enough She won't pass the clock Clock won't tell time She won't do the college But then she loses mind Cause she tough Ooh, she tough My baby's tough She rough and tough that's 
the last of the bird-related poop before I get to my favourite, but I want to include a funny, crazy, interesting, or in this case, a tragic story about the week's topic, and today's story is about the Eagles of Death Metal. It's a bit of a long one, but a super important story. And Jesse Hughes from the Eagles of Death Metal is one of the last true rock star types, so I can listen to that guy talk for hours. So anyway, here it is. In Paris, people are still gathering outside that concert hall where some 90 people were killed in the attacks. This photo of that American rock band on stage just before the terror began. Tonight, for the first time, they're speaking out about what they saw in the harrowing moments that followed. ABC's Lama Hassan reporting in from Paris tonight. Breaking their silence for the first time, the American rock band The Eagles of Death Metal describes the horror unfolding while performing that night. You're an hour into your show. You're playing. Three gunmen walk in, start shooting. At first, I thought it was the PA cracking up, and then I realized real quick that it wasn't. And I recognized what, what, the, what it was. Mm. At that time, Jesse ran, he ran towards me, and we went in the corner of the stage. We weren't sure if they were targeting us or mm -hmm. what was going on, you know? Boot, who's uh, also on the crew, he, uh, I guess he saw he saw the gunman like run out of run, a cartridge run out, and so he took it out to put another one in, and that's when he was like, "Let's go!" Mm. And um, and then we we got up and ran off the stage. Yeah. I go, I gotta find Tuesday. We went up the stairs, went to the dressing room to find Tuesday, but she wasn't there. He kept going up, yeah. and then he came running back down because he saw the gunman up upstairs. So gunman come in, shooting happens, chaos ensues. Yeah. You guys go off together. Yeah. How do you get out? We, after we come back downstairs, we uh, go out the side exit door onto the street, onto this little street. The kids were, they saw us and they were helping and they were being so helpful and they were being so great. And they're like, come this way, come this way. And, but Matt, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you were trapped in a room with some fans. Yeah, when, uh, when the shooting started, threw down my base, hid for a second, sort of behind the curtain, sort of behind the monitor desk, and immediately, you know, people started pouring through. There's like a door uh, to get up to the stage, right. stage access from On the, your side? Venue. Yeah. And uh, That's where everyone was coming from. People were coming, and Steve, our tour manager, he was there, and, and he's the first, you know, he's the first person I saw, and just the look on his face of like, we both, had the same thought of, you know, he was like, there's there's no exit over here. Mm -hmm. And he was trying to tell people that, you know, like, everyone's You're just running. trying to get out. Everyone's running. Well, everyone started going up into this room or, you know, uh, you know just to escape the gunfire, you know, naturally, instinctively. From my perspective, I, you know, I see the shooting, I see it. <laughs> I see, you know, the pops go off, the, the lights flashing, sort of dive over and then just have to make that decision of whether do I really want to run across the stage or do I want to just go in this room, hope for the best. So I went in the room with a bunch of people and there's a bunch of people all helping each other to get up there, you know, like holding on and just like, let's, you know, we're in this. And as soon as we get there, there's, there's a few people that have been shot and we're bleeding. People started, we started grabbing chairs to barricade the door. Uh, there's like a little mini fridge and some, someone had left a, uh, a bottle of champagne in the room for like a post-show thing. We had that. 
to use in case someone... As a weapon? Yeah, because that's it. That's all we had. You know, there was a woman in front of me who... It was scary because she was bleeding the whole... You know, she got shot, like, right here, you know, on her upper thigh. And there was nothing to do except for... There was a, this, this guy, I don't know, you know, this, who was holding her and just keeping pressure on her. And she had a friend who was doing the same thing, and this guy was just trying to, like, keep her comfortable. And, and I mean, and her, her blood was running out on, on the ground. And there was, uh, <clears throat> there was a, a leak for some reason, but the whole room was starting to get flooded. And we were worried because water was, I mean, it was like, it was up to here, you know, it was right. covering our shoes. We start trickling down the stairs. And then that would, we were worried that, that maybe that would alert someone that like, hey, there's people in this room. The gunfire got closer. It went on for, you know, 10, 15 minutes. It just didn't stop and then it would stop and there was a sense of relief and then it would start up again. And then there was an explosion that just shook the whole room, probably the whole building. And, uh, you know, and not, of course we didn't know what that was. So we didn't know if someone's trying to bomb the place or trying to maybe blow up the whole venue or what. Um, just and, and what was of, it? It was a vest. It was one of the. It was yeah. I found out later. Yeah. So suicide vest. Yeah. And and Julian, maybe you could tell us you were you were playing drums. What did you see? I think what really shocked me at first was that we're a loud rock band, you know. Mm -hmm. The power of the band off the stage through the PA is hard to trump, and the initial shots were so powerful for me mm. that I immediately, I knew something was wrong. I kind of bailed off my stool almost immediately. The gunpowder hit my nose. I turned, looked sort of through my, my drum hardware to the side of an amp, and that's when the second round started. And I saw two guys out front and that might be the just most awful thing ever is them just relentlessly uh, shooting into the audience. That's when I started crawling. I just basically stayed almost on my chin, crawling to the right side of the stage behind the drum riser, keeping all that gear in front of me. And once I got to the other side of the stage, Eden mentioned it earlier, I think Boot knew up, saw a moment, an opportunity for them to run to that door. They ran in front of me, I saw them, and I hopped up and I ran right behind them. And so, Jesse, you were looking for your girlfriend Tuesday. He's going off stage right, you're going off stage left, he's behind the drum riser. What happened to you? I ran up, I didn't see her on side of stage, so I ran up to the dressing room and uh, just like he said, I threw the door open. She wasn't in there. And then I opened up the hallway door, and that's when I saw the uh, shooter. Uh, and he turned on me, brought his gun down, and the barrel hit the uh, door frame. And I, I was like, oh, fuck. And I turned around, and I started... Because I, I could tell people were following me. You know, this was a situation where everyone was looking for the place to go, you know? And uh, I realized that and I was like, no, 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 do not fucking come this way, do not. And we started heading back down. And uh, we got to that exit door and I still hadn't seen Tuesday. And 
Julian got out in front of me, and I was, Eden and Ayim was like standing with me. Actually, I think, if you think about it, you were like, what the fuck, dude? You, it was almost like, let's move, let's go. But I didn't know what to do. And, and But when Tuesday saw Julian and I heard her voice, <laughs> I knew she was cool. And then, you know, Eden and I, Eden grabbed me, I think. We headed out and I noticed that immediately that everyone was pouring around from the side. Remember that? Yeah. And, and nobody was coming out of our exit and they were just standing there. Like, just kind of coming around that alley, and we were like, get the f start the fuck, move, move. I think Julian noticed the same thing, too, you know, like when uh, people just didn't seem to know what to do. They had, I mean. Speaking of people not knowing what to do, you're out there in front of house, so you're which, doing sound. Which was usually, front of house usually is positioned right in the middle of the dance floor. Yeah. But for this particular gig, I was at the very back of the venue, which they call front of house, and at the very end, near the opening of the, where the doors were. And the show went well, we, I mean, the, these kids were having a blast. They were having a great time. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, the smile and the dancing and, you know, the, the singing along with each song, it was such, you know, it's heartfelt. And then out of nowhere, I just heard these, what I thought were firecrackers directly behind me. Mm. And so they I, were shooting from behind you. Correct, so they came in the door, instantly walked in and just started blasting. There was two of them. Random or? Random. And that's instantly, people started dropping to the ground, injuries, death, mm. you know, and then Fear. also running. There was no way to go. So they basically ran into me, mm. towards me, and jumped down below my console. And I was still standing up, and I can see the gunman. And he looked right at me, and he shot at me, and he missed. And it hit my console, and buttons went flying everywhere. Like the console got caught a shot. Mm. And that's when I went instantly down to the ground and mm. we all just huddled. And I think he thought I probably got hit because I went down so quickly and everybody else around was injured. There was blood all over. Mm. He stayed there and continued to shoot and shoot and slaughter and just, just scream at the top of his lungs, Allah Akbar. Mm. And that's when I instantly knew what was going on. It was this girl that was behind me that got hit in, in the upper torso, and she had hit in a leg. And uh, she was just, you know, screaming, and I was trying to tell her to be quiet, and, you know, just don't bring him attention back to us. And we, How did you get out? Well, <clears throat> we listened, and he ran out of bullets again. Clipped out, threw his bandolier down, and I could hear him rustling around. I think he had a backpack on, and he was trying to either retrieve it from his backpack, and that's when I said, he's reloading, let's go. Mm -hmm. And... We jumped up and six of us took off in the right direction and got away. Uh, and then the guy started shooting again because he had reloaded, so we had pulled back again, the rest of us. Mm. So we waited again for the next round, which was another 30 rounds. Then after that, I noticed that he wasn't really near us anymore. He was, by the sound of his gunshots, he was moving his way towards the stage. And he reloaded again and that's when we all ran. I picked the girl up and basically had to push her forward to get her to go because she was in such shock yeah. and this other guy helped me and then once we got through he turned on us because I could hear the guns gunshots hitting right. through like the walls to the front doors mm -hmm. and it busted they were out shooting at you they were shooting us and he, he broke the, the the front doors were glass mm -hmm. and there was a glass door so I went to push it before I mean I'd say a foot away from me hitting the door it shattered I mean the bullet hit 
Mm. And we just got through it, and then we ran out. We had to jog over bodies that were dead out front. So you guys make it to the police station. You get there, what do you do? Who do you call? Well, I call Joshua. That's what all I could, I mean, that's what we, it's what you do when you're in trouble, you call Josh. And I instantly stopped worrying a little bit, at least about the uncertainty of things. Yeah, because when we got to the police station, it was still chaos because there were kids coming from the venue covered in blood and um, we didn't know what was going on because there was no news and we were just hearing reports from people from their cell phones. Mm. So once we heard, yeah, once we got in touch with Josh, then it was like I everything feel bad. was I'm going to go grab Josh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so Josh, another founder of the band, you guys start this band, I believe, in 1998? Yeah. Okay, so it's been going a long time. You're getting texts, you're hearing things, it's on the news. What happens? Like, what, what do you, how do you even deal with that? It took a second to, to believe that that's really occurring, because mm -hmm. it wasn't on the news yet, it wasn't. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I went immediately to our office to get started on anything, any, anything, everything that could be done to anything you do if you're not there mm -hmm. to bring them home. I've almost come to rely upon Joshua being the cavalry, you know, especially for me. Um, and I, I felt so guilty in a way that, like, I'd left Matt on the stage and maybe Davey too, and I, I didn't want anything to have happened to them, and I really needed them to have gotten off the stage because I didn't see what happened when we got off. And Joshua wouldn't let me think about that, he, and, and he, he... Well, I just hope you understand, Baby Duck, that I, I, I love you very much, I and love you, too, man. you were here for us because this has always been our band. That's how we look at it. Now, we spoke to Jesse and Josh, the founders of Eagles of Death Metal, about what the future of the band is in the wake of this terrible tragedy. How did you find out about this? I was at uh, my studio, and I just got a text that uh, it, it just didn't make sense to me, you know? Right here. Bro, everyone got shot. Huh, what? Everyone got shot. They took hostages. I've got blood all over me. Joshua was probably the first one in the world to really know outside what was going on because of the real-time connection, truly. The one thing that all the guys in the band kept sharing was a, like a shared heroism mm -hmm. that people came out of their homes mm -hmm. to help. Mm -hmm. The fans that were in there, <laughs> even when injured, were attempting to help each other in the band. And I think about Nick, who protected a friend of his, and like that's and something that quiet and never called for help until he bled out because he didn't want to. He didn't want anyone else to get hurt. I mean, and and that's just us. We have a podium right now because we're in the friggin' band, right? But we represent the fans that did not make it, the people that did not make it, whose stories may never get told. There you go, Relly.
Now to my favourite choice for a rock and roll rabbit hole, bird-related song or artist, and it's Noel Gallagher and his High Flying Birds. I love every song on this band's self-titled album. And just as a side rabbit hole, here's some random funny questions being answered by the great man. Does Noel Gallagher believe in God? I believe in myself because I'm sat here now. So in a way I do, but in another way I don't. Submit. So like, do you talk, like, you watch each other. So if he was on here, did you watch him on here? No. Oh, so, but he watches you. Oh, he's obsessed. <laughs> He'll be watching this now. Can you just say, can we all say hello to him? Where is he? What camera's on there? There you Hi, go. Liam. <laughs> Liam. Both Liam and Noel Gallagher's bands always have at least two fellas who look like Noel Gallagher. Is this a contractual thing? I'm afraid to say that it is. But you know, at least we don't have two girls who look like Noel Gallagher. Because that, nobody wants to see that. Tweeted. Night, the, the end of 95 and we'd... Morning Glory come out, I think we've done 12 million, that's 12 million count. <laughs> 12 million <laughs> in a year or something. And uh, yeah. well, I, I'd, I'd had this conversation with Alan McGee in passing months before about how it's all about a chocolate brown Rolls Royce, man, that's what it's all about. <laughs> and we go to this Christmas party, what Creason are having, and on the way in is this chocolate brown Rolls Royce parked outside a hotel. I didn't think anything of it at the time. And I get in there and Alan gets up and he starts making this speech about blah, 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 blah great guys, blah, 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 you're a genius, you're a genius, you're, you two are not, but you two are, you're all right. <laughs> and uh, he gets out this stack of little boxes and he gives, you know, Bonehead, his vintage Rolex, and he gives Griggs a vintage Rolex and Whitey, and then our kid a solid white silver vintage Rolex. And uh, so I start there and he says, I'd say, nor for you, you know, and I'm going, is that my Rolls Royce parts outside? And he went, who told him? <laughs> and he berated everybody in the room. So he's, he's going around to everyone going, did you tell him? Did you tell him? I told you not to tell him. At this point, Liam was sat there going, Rolex. <laughs> Rolls Royce. <laughs> Rolex. <laughs> Rolls Royce. And I'm going, Rolls Royce! <laughs> Rolex! <laughs> <laughs> Am I right in thinking that for Liam, uh, the thought well, process... Well, it's cool, because he can't tell the time and I can't drive, so we could I'm actually going to include the bonus track from the album called A Good Rebel, just to show you how strong the rest of the record is. This is such a great pop tune. It reminds me a bit of There She Goes by the Lars and has a nice counting, which could have been included in episode four. The Good Rebel, Noel Gallagher's High Flying Birds. One, two, three...
Thanks again for listening and thanks to Rob Dean at Bonsai Studios for the podcast music and Paddy Cummings at Fingerprint Audio for web and tech help and also for everyone who has rated and reviewed the podcast. And as mentioned at the start, if you do want to tell me what I did wrong, could do better or got wrong in this free podcast that took me a few full days to put together, you can send me an email at I will never ever read your fucking email at goflogyourself.cockgoblin forward slash geocities.birdpoop dot forward slash nugget of poop and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Now seriously hit me up on Instagram at a rock and roll rabbit hole podcast. And if you do have a few spare seconds, please rate and review the podcast on the Apple app. You can check out all the past episodes and playlists from each episode on the website, arockandrollrabbithole.com, and there's some other golden magic on there too. To end the podcast, I'm going to add, when I can, an example of the topic that I enjoy from a lesser-known band. Head over to the website and check out the Victims tab for a playlist of a handful of songs from this band, Fools. Fools are a 13-piece band from Melbourne. Most of them I love, some of them I like, the rest of them I tolerate. No, they're seriously a good band, and if you are in Melbourne, they've got a gig at the Night Cat on April 1st. Here they are with their song, Bird Song. Thanks again for listening, guys. See ya.
Tell me.